But today we want to talk about building a hedge around your family. Psalm 68 and Ephesians 3 verse 15. And in Ephesians 3, I'm really reading just a portion of it. Psalm 68 verse 6 reads, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So for those who are solitary, those who are lonely, those who don't belong anywhere, God sets them, plants them, establishes them in families. When Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I pray now about my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. One translation says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And the word Father there is the word P-A-T-E-R, which means originator, or it means source. So God is the source, he's the originator. Everything comes from him, but also it says he is the source of family. And God's family is in heaven, it's also on earth. We have people in heaven who've gone on to glory. They're God's children, they're in God's family. And we have this family here, and all over the world, those who call on the name of Christ. Meaning that family, therefore, was God's idea in the first place. It's very important for us and human beings not to walk away from the pattern that God sets. Sometimes we get misguided in our own wisdom thinking that what God established is not best. God established family. And when you read God's word, family should be a number of things. Or family is a number of things. According to Deuteronomy 6 from verse 5 to verse 13, Family number one is a place where we need to teach and model God's word. See, the preaching and teaching of God's word and the modeling of right living should start in the home. Unfortunately, we are living in times where people depend on the paid professional. Take your children to school for the professional teacher to teach your children how to learn. Take your children to the pastor, for the pastor to make them spiritual for you. So we live in a time of the paid professional where we have moved away from how God had designed family in the first place. Family was supposed to be a place where we teach and where God's word is modeled. In Deuteronomy 6, God says you've got to talk to your children. Teach them this law when you rise, when you walk. Write it as frontlets upon your head. Write it on your doorposts. Let it be part and parcel of your daily life. Children shouldn't meet the Bible in church, people. People shouldn't only learn to pray in church, but they should learn to pray at home. We should teach our children to have a quiet time. You know, sometimes they may not keep to what you teach them, but nonetheless, we need to teach them how to have a quiet time. We need to teach our children that the first thing when they wake up, they need to spend time in the presence of God than in the presence of gum. We need to teach our children that the first thing to read is God's word and not News 24. 
We need to teach that. But not only should we teach that, we should model that ourselves by making sure that the home is where we pray, where we teach God's word. So the home is a place. So I want to challenge you to take the responsibility to teach your children. If you look at what's happening all over the world, you know that the world system by and large is moving more and more towards teaching our children different things. There are certain things that are before parliament as we speak. Some legislation that is being considered in this our lovely land. And when you read closely some of the things that have been propagated, they go very much against what we believe fundamentally as God's children. So, if you wait for the teacher to teach your children about sex education, you are too late. They're going to tell them something that they're going to believe. And you know how children are, ne? the teacher always knows better than you. If you wait for your, the teacher to teach your children about religion, they may teach them about something else. We need to do that and make sure that a home is a place where we teach and model God's word. Number two, when you read God's word, we also find out that the home is the root of all culture. Now, this is important. Let me say this and put this disclaimer. I will outright state that all cultures of the world have areas about them that do not line up with God's word. I'll give you that. All right. In the words of Dr. Maswanganya, all cultures of the world are dynamic, progressive, and sinful. All cultures of the world. Whether it's black people, white people, wherever, culture. However, there are things in culture that help us to have a sense of identity. Now, we have our identity in Christ, which is the most important. But also there are ways of doing things because culture is simply a way in which people do life. Certain standards and norms that are agreed upon as a way of doing things. Let me give you an example. In African culture, you never address an elderly person in singular. You always do it in plural. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't violate the Bible in any way. No, it doesn't. In African culture, there is a way in which you relate with elderly people. You don't push them around and shove them around and call them you guys. Some of you model C's and born freeze. Don't do that. So we need to teach our children culture. One of the things we tried, my wife and I, to do to teach our children in terms of culture is how to honor and respect people who come and work at our home. We haven't had many people work at our home for a long time, but should we have someone to come do gardening or maybe something in the home? We would teach them to greet them. And to call them Papa so and so, Abuti so and so, Mama so and so, not Heywen. We got to teach them. We teach them to greet. You don't pass somebody because they are doing gardening. You learn to greet. We got to do that in our culture. Oh yeah. We teach our children in culture that in culture, if you want to get married, you should involve your family. Well, not that they should necessarily choose a bride or a groom for you. In some instances, that happens. But the family should be part and parcel of what happens. In African culture, you don't bring a woman here and say, Dad, meet my wife. Wife, where? When? How? Why? Where was I? Anybody knows what I mean by that? And we need to help people. There's nothing wrong in going through the, the customs as long as we don't violate God's word. Nothing wrong with Lobola. I know some of you say, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Thank God I'm free from Lobola. You are not free from Lobola at all. 
You got to pay Lobola. You got to involve your families. It's a beautiful thing when family is involved in that. We got to teach culture. Thirdly, family, according to God's word, is the first line of defense. Know that, Bazalana. Is the first line of defense. Why? Because it's a place where we teach values. See, the family where we teach values. The values of spirituality, the values of honor, the values of honesty, truthfulness, values of hard work. See, it's not for us to teach your children to work hard at school. It's not for us yet to teach children to be honest. We should teach children values. It's in the family where we teach morality. We should teach our children. We should teach our boys how to, how to handle women. We should teach our boys that not to objectify women. We should teach our girls not to zing zong the men. Yeah, you know zing zong, right? Yeah, you know zing zong. Right? That's very that, yeah. But it's in the home where we must teach children to be truthful. Teach children that when they go out on a date, they don't manhandle anybody. How about twara twari? My father was so strict on me, you know, that even as a grown-up man in my twenties. I was already a pastor, had my own car, worked my own job. But when I went out with my bishop before we got married, my dad wanted to know, where are you going? What time are you coming back? Hey! And if I ever came, you know, my curfew as a 20-year-old was 7 o'clock. I know some of you will say, ha. Ah. He increased it to 9 o'clock sometimes when he was in a happy mood, but it was 7 o'clock. It's in the home where we teach about provision, justice, love. It's in the home where we teach about responsibility. I thank God for my late mother who taught me to clean after myself. That you don't go home, fall apart, leave your clothes everywhere and expect somebody to pick up on you. I thank God for her that even if I grew up in a home with ladies, she taught me you are not the fortunate one. You must work like they work. So I cleaned the floor, I scrubbed, I prepared breakfast like all of them. So when you get married, you don't expect your wife to be your slave. Ah. Ah, yeah. You teach that at home. These are the things that we need to teach at home. Number four, family is a place to belong and get covering. All of us want to belong somewhere. That's why the Bible uses the word home. You know, the word home is such an intimate word. You don't visit your home. You stay there. Hey, no wonder the Holy Spirit has come to tabernacle. Make a home. Live in us. Jesus said, I'll come and live. He says, I won't leave. I'll live. I won't forsake you. I'll live. I'll be at home. I'll, I'll tabernacle. Oh, I'll be the greater one inside of you. I'll make a home in you. All of us want to have a place to belong to. That's why even in the criminal justice system, if they can't find you anywhere else, they go home. Look for you there. And everybody who's a manis in society comes from a home. They belong somewhere. A home is not just a place to belong to, but it's also a place where we get covering. When you have a home, you are covered. I don't have the time to talk about it, but from a spiritual level, there's a certain covering that you get from belonging in a home. It's in a home where your parents cover you. And if you show honor and respect, 
You honor your mother and your father. There's a covering that comes. Hallelujah. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you. See, there's an anointing that comes upon your life. It's quite interesting. When you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I didn't want to go there, but I think I'll go there just a little bit. Go and study it. There's this guy in the local church in Corinth who is sinning. And Paul is saying, this guy is sinning, and it's obvious he doesn't want to repent. However, you have kept him in the church. I'm just paraphrasing. He says, rightfully, this guy, God should deal with him. And then Paul says, the only way for God to deal with the guy, you've got to get the guy out of the church, out of covering. It's kind of an amazing scripture to note that even God couldn't deal with a guy who's under the covering of a church. Sometimes people, and I'll teach on that one day, I think I'll teach on that. I found out that there's a covering that comes on us when we come under authority. Many levels of authority. You have the authority of a home, the, the, we have a, a civil authority, then you have spiritual authority in the church. People don't understand how covered they are when they are under a ministry and they are committed to a church. Instead of being a church hopper, instead of being someone who doesn't belong anywhere, you are always all over the shop. You've got to belong to a church, and when you belong to a church, you come under spiritual covering. I'll talk to you about that one day. But a home is a place to belong and a place to get covering from. However, having said all that, Satan is out to destroy families. He's really trying to redefine what family is, to even make people understand that they don't need family. For that reason, we need to jealously guard our families and jealously protect our families by constantly doing certain things. And I'll show you those things. And when we do these things, it will give God a platform to protect our families. I don't know if there's any best example than this godly man called Job. He had lots of problems, but at least on this one thing, this guy did very well. So if you can turn with me to Job chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 6, right down to verse 12, and we just want to Exegete that a bit and talk about that briefly. Verse 6 says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where do you come from? And Satan said, Azula, Azula. <laughs> from roaming about the earth and walking around on it. Then the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's none like him on the earth. He's a blameless man, an upright man. He fears God and turns away from evil. Now watch verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand, touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to the, your face. Then the Lord said, Now behold, all that he has is in your power. Only don't put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the Lord's presence. Can I hear an amen? amen. My main verse, verse 10. Have you not made a hedge about him in his house? Very interesting. Satan is aware of this hedge that God had made about Job 
Not only him, but his house and everything that he has possessed. Very interesting. That word hedge literally means to shut in or to entwine. Satan says, have you not shut Job in? Have you not entwined yourself? It means to entwine, to shut in for formation, protection, or restraint. So you have built something around just like you do a fence. Watch this. This is important. A hand speaks of a formation or a protection that fences in and shuts in valuable things. What is it that Job did that made God to build this fence, shut in his family, shut in his possession, protect all the valuables? It's amazing. You see, in biblical times, fences were, were often built or even borders were made they were made out of thorny bushes around a garden, around a vineyard to protect it from outside invaders. So this was called a hedge. Dr. Good, who is a theologian, says that word hedge, if we were to give this original word its full force, we should note that it is derived from the science of engineering. And rightfully that word should be rendered, and I quote, that phrase should be rendered, and I quote, have you not raised a palisado about him? End of quote. So God built a palisado around Job. Well, the word palisado is a palisade fence. You know when you go around, you see fences made out of palisade. We've got one right here. It's a palisade fence. In Soweto, we call it stop nonsense. So God built a stop nonsense around Job and around his family. Which means, therefore, a hedge implies to protect as one is to defend a house or a farm to hedge in. It's like a, 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 a fence of thorns. It's like a palisade, which is, an, which is an enclosure. So a hedge, therefore, figuratively means to, to enclose and to protect, which means God had enclosed Job and his family. God had guarded Job's family from danger and from plunder. What is it that Job did that caused this to happen? Well, you have to go back to chapter 1, verse 5. Job's children were grown up already when we read in chapter 1. He had raised them well. As you note, he would wake up and pray, give offerings. He did this daily. And probably, and it's quite obvious, his children were taught to do the same. But now that they were elderly and had gotten married and had established themselves in their own houses, even if they were away from home, Job kept them in his prayers. Now, note what it says. In chapter 1, verse 5, the first part, it says, and it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone, that Job sent and sanctified them. The New American Standard Bible says, when the days of their feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them. So in other words, when they were away, Job would keep them in the presence of God. He would do certain things to bring his children before the Lord. Then the second part of verse 5 says, and Job rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. 
For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cast God in their hearts. Then it says the last part, thus did Job continually. Two things he did. He rose up early, number one in the morning. Number two, he offered up burnt offerings on the altar. When you read the Bible, particularly the book of Psalms, you often note what this early rising signified. The rising up early in the morning is not only to be able to catch the sun as it rises, but for the most part when people rose up in the morning, they rose up in the morning for prayer. It wasn't only morning, even in the evenings it did happen. Psalms 55 verse 17, it says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. That's Psalms 55 verse 17. In Psalm 63 verse 1, it says, A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So it means when Job woke up in the morning, he would bring his family before God and pray for them. Paul models this in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Thessalonians, and in the book of Philippians. These are churches that had come to the knowledge of Christ, and many of them evidently were still young in the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, for every time I think of you, I give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He says, this is what I pray. I pray that the, Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, that you may know what is the glory of your inheritance in the saints, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of your power to us what who believe, according to the working of your mighty power, which he demonstrated in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. So Paul took responsibility to pray for these Young Christians, the main thing he prayed that the eyes of their understanding should be enlightened. In chapter 3, he says, Ever since I heard of, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees unto the Father of glory, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to his glorious power, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the breadth and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Then he ends by saying, and now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that dwells in you. Why don't you take those prayers and pray them over your family? Every day. Every day. Every day build a palisado. Every day build a stop nonsense. Every day erect that fence so that the enemy and the devil doesn't get into your family. Can I hear a good amen? Every day. Every day. Cover your family in prayer. Marinate them in prayer. Surround them in prayer. Oh, even if they are not doing what they should be doing, even if they may have walked away from you, even if they are far from you, there is no distance in prayer. Call on the name of the Lord on behalf of your family. And so Job came in a time of prayer. Oftentimes we go to God and complain about our families. Instead of praying for the families. I want to challenge those of you who are heads of homes. 
You know, the head of the home, whoever is the leader of the home, male or female alike. We know today we even have child-headed homes. Whoever is the head of the home, do what Job did as the head of the home. So God hears it when the head of the home comes before him. Oh, can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? God hears it when the head of the home comes before him and brings the family. Make it a habit. Not only did Job pray for them, the Bible says he also offered burnt offerings. This expression is used in scripture of a sacrifice that was wholly consumed on the altar. Such offerings in the days of the patriarch were made by the head of the home. In this instance, the father of the family. The father of the family is supposed to officiate as the priest on behalf of the household. Now I challenge you, as fathers of the families, or you may be a mother who is heading up a family, play the role of the priests. We know that priests offer prayers and offer sacrifices before God. You take that responsibility to be a priest of your home. Note, we see many examples of this in the Old Testament. In Genesis 8.20, it says there, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered a burnt offering on the altar. In Genesis 12 verse 7, we see Abram do the same thing. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. It says, And there Abram built an altar unto the Lord who appeared to him. Verse 8, And he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Ai, not high, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now I know. In the New Testament, as New Testament priests, there is no way we can offer bulls and goats in case some of you are worried which doctrine I'm bringing this morning. We do know that the function of being a priest and our offerings have transitioned from being the bulls and the goats, but it's other kinds of offerings. In fact, 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also, like living stone, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So our offerings, are, our sacrifices are spiritual sacrifices. It's not bulls and goats. It's spiritual sacrifices. Well, what are those sacrifices? In Hebrews 13, 15, we learn that one of the spiritual sacrifices is the sacrifice of praise. Listen to me carefully. I'm going somewhere with this. It's the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What this means is that we need to learn to come before God with a heart full of praise. Learn to thank God for your family members. Learn to praise God for the work that he's doing in the life of your family members. Learn to say something that's good about them before the presence of the Lord. Oftentimes in desperation or in when we're exasperated, we say all kinds of negative things about our children, about our families. 
What we don't realize is we release words of death that begin to work out in the life of those who are our loved ones. Why don't we come into the presence of the Lord for once and do what Paul did? Paul says, every time I think of you, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. It's not because the people in in Ephesus were doing well all the time. It's not because they were doing right all the time. But Paul learned to give the sacrifice of praise. Why don't you give the sacrifice of praise for your family? Why don't you give the sacrifice of praise for your mother, for your father, as you come before the Lord? Father, I thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my children. I give praise to you that they still have breath in their lungs. I give praise to you that even if the devil has tried to get them, you have protected them, my God. I give praise to you that they will come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Even if they are far away from home, I know there's no distance in prayer. Right where they are, Father, I give praise. I don't give praise for what they are doing. I give praise because I know that your hand is not short to save. And your ear will hear our prayers. I give praise. Oftentimes, instead of bringing praise before God, we bring complaints. So we must give the sacrifice of praise. But the second kind of offering we learn is the offering of incense. Watch this. We offer the incense of our prayers. Wow. Well, in our culture as Africans, of course, I think we understand something that you offer something that rises up into the presence of God. See, according to the Bible, our prayers are like that mpepo. Oh, you don't like me use the word mpepo. Our prayers are like that mpepo. It's just that you may not see it. But it's a lot of mpepo around. I mean, if you can, God can open your eyes, you'll see the mpepo here. Oh. There's a lot of it around. So we offer the incense there. Incense of our prayers. Revelation 5, 8. I love this. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each having a harp, watch, and a golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints sometimes we think that when we prayed there is nothing that happened but I'm here to tell somebody God collected those prayers in a bowl you don't hear what I'm saying. Listen to me. Some of you, you've prayed prayers years ago. You have done things years ago. You've talked to God years ago. It looks like nothing has happened. But I'm here to show you from God's word that your prayers have not gone to waste. God has collected those prayers. Watch, watch, watch. Here's a guy we read about. Cornelius by name. He's a centurion. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, Verse 4 says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, which was called the Italian regiment. It says a devout man who feared God with all his house. Watch. Who gave alms to the people and prayed to God always. Cornelius is doing what Job did. 
Cornelius is taking the lead as the head of the home. Cornelius is taking the responsibility and taking the initiative as the man of the home. I'm going to do what's good. I'm going to do the good works, but I'm also going to pray always. Somebody say always. Somebody say always. Somebody say always. Somebody say always. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and coming to him. Cornelius! And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? Watch! So the angel said, your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. A memorial means God remembers. You have been doing it for years, but it's not time wasted. God remembers. You've prayed and it has come up before God. That bowl is full. And the angels have got that bowl of incense to bring it before the Lord. Your prayers have come up as a memorial. Isn't it amazing? It says he prayed always. With Job, it says he prayed continually. And because of the prayers, God built a hedge. See, God is always desiring for someone to take the initiative to pray. Will you be the one? Will you be the one? I think some families would have been spared from certain disasters. Had the priest of the home, male or female alike, had they done what they were supposed to do. God says in Ezekiel 22 verse 30, I sought for a man among them. That should make up a palisado. I sought for a man that should make up a hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. And so as I close, may I challenge you today. Take it upon yourself that you're going to build a hedge. You're going to do things that will cause God to build a hedge around your family. How? Continual prayer and giving sacrifices before God. Pray for them all the time. You know, I've come to a point where I've learned certain things about this kind of prayer. Sometimes you can know when your family is in trouble, far from you. You can know. I remember years ago, one day I was praying and I knew by the Spirit, it was during the day that my bishop, her life was in danger. And she was traveling somewhere. And so I called her the, on the day I knew she was going to travel. And she said, no, I, I'm not traveling. I, I got delayed. I'll travel the following day. That afternoon as I prayed, I, I just knew something's not right. And thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for being filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Yeah, even if we know not what to pray, the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, for the Spirit makes intercession for us. When you have that kind of sense and that kind of burden, please don't dismiss it. I prayed, I prayed until the burden lifted. The following day, my bishop left. And uh, she was going somewhere, I think, I think Drakensberg. Was Drakensberg? I asked her, what side? Uh, and she passed Kamo, 
Kamo Eastern, that side, and uh, she was pulling a trailer, and the, the axle of the trailer broke with a trailer loaded with gas cans that are heavy, yeah. And when the axle broke, the trailer started driving the car. She, was, she had uh, two, two guys who were supposed to go and assist, and the car literally rolled with them inside. And when I got a phone call, as I got to the accident scene, I could see it was a bad accident because there was a helicopter that had landed on the road, on the highway, on the freeway, rather. So the whole road was blocked. And as I got there, the traffic cop tried to stop me. I said, hey, come inside where I call you. <laughs> so they led me through. And as I got there, there she was. And the greatest concern she had was the one guy who was finally airlifted because he had no feeling from his waist down. Yeah, you, you know what that means, right? Her injuries were bad, but not as bad as the others, but they were really bad. But the car was a total write-off. That car was total write-off. Couldn't. And thankfully, that guy, when he went to hospital, stayed there for a few days. Even the other one, there were two of them. The other one was discharged, and the other one who was supposed to not be walking. God came through for the guy. Oh. Watch. God said, I sought for a man. You know what our problem is? When we are spiritually disconnected. When we are in a dead zone spiritually, we can't get the heavenly signal. Unfortunately, we live such busy lives today that people never stop and quieten themselves in the presence of God and take time to pray. You'll know about your children wherever they are. God will talk to you about it. You'll have that impression in your heart because you are the priest of your home. And so sometimes I wonder when we say, I wonder why didn't God such and such. I kind of think God looks over heaven and say, but I tried to talk to you. You were too busy to hear what I'm saying. Make a quality decision from today that you are going to take time in the presence of God to bring your family before God. It says, thus did Job continually. Don't just do it when things are falling apart. Do it when things are good. Do it even in Christmas time. You know, sometimes in December time, because we are in a festive mood, people stop praying. The devil doesn't stop working because it's Christmas time. Do it always. And even when it looks like it's not working, it's been collected. One day is one day. Come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Hallelujah. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to bring our families before you. Help us all not to be lethargic. Help us all not to be taken by other agendas. Help us all to know that we are the priests of our homes and that as we come before you in prayer and in offering sacrifices, you build a palisado 
We declare your divine protection upon our homes, upon our families. We speak your divine protection upon our children, upon our girls, upon our boys, upon our parents. We speak your word over their lives in the name of Jesus. We declare that there's no weapon formed against them that will prosper. We release the power of the Holy Spirit that wherever they are, you'll touch them and you'll reach towards them in the name of Jesus. We reach out, Father, before you in Jesus' name and declare your word, for we know that your word will never fall to the ground. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God wants a family. To be a member of a family, you must be born into that family. Of course, maybe even adopted into that family. But there's some action that must happen. It just doesn't happen automatically because you keep visiting that family. You may be here, visiting, being invited, whatever the case. And as you've been listening to God's word, you know that God changes people's lives and makes people to be his own children, his sons and daughters. You see, we become God's children by inviting Christ to come into our hearts, to be our Savior and our Lord. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious leader of note, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because the only way to come into God's kingdom is for you to be born again. How? When Jesus comes into your heart and you invite him to come into your heart to be the Savior and the Lord of your life, he comes into your heart, makes you a child of God, makes you, according to God's word, to be born again, that your spirit becomes new and different. God changes your heart, takes out the heart of stone, takes out the heart of sin, gives you a new heart and a new spirit. And makes you to be his own child. Your sins are forgiven. Cleansed and washed. And you can stand before God without a sense of guilt. A sense of sin. A sense of inferiority. And in your heart know fully that I'm a child of God. If I was to leave this earth. I'd go to heaven. Right here where you sit. My brother, my sister, my mother, my father. I want to pray for you. Have you received Jesus? as Savior and Lord of your life. Do you ever remember praying and asking Him to come into your heart and be the Savior and the Lord of your life? I'm not talking about being a church attender. I'm not talking about being water baptized or being confirmed. I'm not talking about going to Bible school. I'm talking about receiving Christ and making Him the Savior and the Lord of your life. Do you ever remember doing that? If you don't ever remember, you need to do it today. I want to give you this opportunity right where you are, right where you are sitting. If you want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be the Savior and the Lord of your life, to make you a child of God and you need me to pray for you, right where you are, would you just raise your hand, please? I want to pray for you right where you are. Thank you for those hands. Keep them raised. Keep them raised. All over this place. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. I'm not talking about the religion. I'm not talking about a set of do's and don'ts. I'm talking about a living relationship. Where Jesus Christ comes into our hearts and makes us to be God's children. Those of you who raised your hands, would you please just stand on your feet right where you are? Please just go ahead and stand on your feet, please. You raised your hands. Thank you, young man. Thank you, young lady. 
Thank you, 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 thank you. All over the place. You see, for us, this is an important decision. This is one of the most important decisions you can make in your life. See, you can come to church and hear all the good preaching, and you, but go back home, the same person. Through this act, this decision that you're making, your life is going to be changed totally by God. So I want to pray for all of you. I want to invite you to come, please, from where you are standing. Take all your belongings, please, and just walk to the front. Come and stand here. I want to pray for you. Come right now. Give them a big hand, everybody, as they come. Hallelujah. Come on, Bazalana, give them a big hand as they walk.